you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me once again to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of the Lord. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when, he, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were afraid or were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region. And began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Loved ones in Christ, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Gracious Father, we ask now that from heaven you would open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, truly to understand the words that have been read and spoken, for we recognize them to be the words of eternal life. These things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the most common temptations that Christians face in their walk with the Lord is to Harden their hearts against him. That's the central problem in the story of Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56. Hardening the heart toward the Lord. There are different ways that this happens. Because in the Bible, the heart can refer to different parts of yourself, different faculties which you have. The heart can sometimes refer to your affections, which is basically a way of speaking about how you feel toward the Lord. And we can harden our hearts toward the Lord in that way, when we feel cold in our feeling toward the Lord. The heart can also refer to our wills. And we harden our hearts in this way when we know the right thing to do, but we decide not to do it. We will to disobey. We harden our hearts in that way. But in this passage, the hardness of heart has to do with the understanding There's the heart as the affections, the heart as the will, but there's also the heart as the understanding. And that's the the manner in which Mark speaks about the heart in Mark chapter 6. We see it in verse 52. They did not understand. 
but their hearts were hardened. The important thing here is that hardening, the hardening of the heart is the disciples' response to Jesus showing them his glory. That's what, is, that's what they're responding to when they harden their hearts to Jesus. This is, of course, the famous story of Jesus walking on the water, a manifestation of his glory, if ever there was one. But the, the disciples, by contrast, teach us the wrong way to respond to the glory of Jesus Christ. While the people that show up at the end of the passage in verses 53 to 56, they actually show us a better way to respond to Jesus. And so I want us to come away from this particular passage today with a clear way of responding to the Lord when he intervenes gloriously in our lives. How do we respond to the Lord when he manifests his glory, when he works gloriously on our behalf, when he saves and delivers us from this or that trial, when he promises to save us and deliver us from the great trial of death itself? How do we respond? According to this passage, we are to be encouraged We are to understand, and then we are to be delivered. We'll return to those three things in in the last point today. But we have to make our way there. We have to understand why, why that's the response that Jesus seeks from us. And the first thing we have to understand is, what are we speaking about with his glory? What is this this glorious presence which, which has shown up on the Sea of Galilee here? Um, this shows us in a particular way what happens in a general way for all Christians when the Lord Jesus Christ shows up for his people. In other words, it's a glorious display when Jesus shows up on behalf of his people to do something on their behalf. It's a glorious thing. And this glory comes across in this story, especially because there are images and wording here that are to remind us of other key moments in Scripture, particularly the book of Exodus. Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. He does this many times. Uh, Not unlike Moses meeting with the Lord atop a mountain. There's a crisis on the sea, which Jesus delivers the disciples from, like God himself delivering the Israelites from the great crisis at the Red Sea. We read in verse 48 that Jesus intended to pass them by Uncannily similar language to the glory of God passing by Moses on the mountain in Exodus 33 and 34. But it is the actual walking on the waters of the Sea of Galilee that is meant to get our attention. Because in the Old Testament, surprisingly, there is an image of God walking upon the seas with some frequency. Psalm 77, verse 19, for instance. The psalmist looks back on the great parting of the Red Sea and the deliverance which took place there like this. Here's how the psalmist remembers it. He says, Your way, O God, was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. God came and stood upon the waters to deliver his people. And though his footprints were unseen because he's not a man... He nevertheless was there in power to manifest his glory. Isaiah 43 speaks similarly of the same event, similar interpretation to the psalmist. As these later writers in the Old Testament look back to that deliverance, that great salvation at the Red Sea, 
They remember it as if God himself was walking among his people on the waters. In fact, the images are right there in the story of Exodus itself. Kids, do you remember in the story of the Exodus, when God delivered his people out of Egypt and took them through the Red Sea, do you remember how God showed up? How did he show up? He showed up in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He said that that's how he would lead them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness. That's in Exodus 13. Like great columns of a cloud and of a pillar coming down from the sky. But when the Israelites found themselves completely helpless, threatened by Pharaoh's chariots on one side and drowning in the Red Sea on the other, both of these great pillars come down at the same time. The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud come down to deliver the people, to make a separation between his people and their enemies and to bring them safely through the waters. As though the, the, the divine legs came down to stand with them there. And so it is no surprise that the later Old Testament writers look back and say, he stood there with us, though his footprints were unseen. Your path, O God, was through the great waters. There he stood on behalf of his people. And here now, the same God who manifested his glorious presence there at the Red Sea is doing it once again on the Sea of Galilee. Though it is not through a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire, but it is through the flesh and bone legs of Jesus Christ, the God-man who has come down from heaven and taken our human nature to draw near to us, to manifest his glorious presence, to save as he does with his disciples here. He's the God-man. And here in Mark chapter 6, he's walking on water. The same God who created water and made liquid is now commanding this same thing to hold his body weight as he walks upon it. And more than that, we forget this when we think about this story. More than that, he's walking on stormy water. Water that is being kicked up by the winds that, that had already threatened the disciples back in chapter 4. And now here it threatens them again. And as the, the disciples are painfully rowing against it and going off course, Jesus is taking a stroll, walking on the waters. Jesus walks and he walks to them. He comes to them. He manifests his glory in order to deliver him. For the people of God, when, when God, especially through his son, manifests his glory, it means the deliverance of his people. It does not mean that for unbelievers. The, the glory of the presence of God is utter destruction for those who are outside of Christ. But for those who have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and are hidden in Christ Jesus in union with him, then his glory is their deliverance. And he comes in glory now. Though it is veiled in his flesh, he comes on the Sea of Galilee and manifests his miraculous glory and delivers them. Now, there are different responses that humankind can have to such a manifestation. And the, the first response that we need to see is misunderstanding, misunderstanding his glory. 
And that is, uh, hopefully, obviously enough, the, the uh, response that we are to avoid when it comes to God manifesting his glory. We've seen that Jesus shows forth the glory of God and his miracles, as he does in this particular miracle. But the disciples don't understand. Their hearts are hardened in misunderstanding. And we, we must learn to put this particular sin to death. By softening our hearts toward the Lord. Remember that the disciples have just been with Jesus the previous day. In Mark's account, as he's narrating this, and sometimes the gospel writers will put things together in particular ways to make certain points. But as as Mark tells us the story, they've already had a very long couple of days. The very previous day, they were with Jesus and he fed 5,000 people miraculously. And that was when they were, they, they were trying to take a rest because they'd already had a difficult day the previous day, a demanding day the previous day. So it's kind of one episode after another, and they've just been with Jesus as he's fed the multitudes. And now here in verse 45, we read that the Lord dismisses that crowd that he had just fed and tells the disciples to begin rowing to a different area of the lake. And now night falls. And the disciples have once again found themselves in the middle of a nighttime windstorm. The danger seems to be lesser here than it was in chapter 4. The the language of chapter 4 when they were when Jesus calmed the storm, that storm was really quite dangerous for them. Their lives were in jeopardy. What what is emphasized here is the immense difficulty that this windstorm has caused for them. Verse 48 says they were making headway Painfully, And this description is, is communicating to us a physically torturous experience. In another passage, the demons say to Jesus, uh, we know who you are, you're the son of God, don't torment us, please. And it's the same word that Mark is using here to talk about the painful rowing. It's a torturous, tormenting experience for these disciples. Because for every row forward that they make, they are pressed backward by the wind. And now even though they weren't meant to go a very long distance to another part of the shore, they're now out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Middle of the night. In fact, uh, the fourth watch of the night, which is from 3 to 6 a.m. So it is very, very early, early in the morning. And that is precisely when Jesus sees all of this happening. And begins to walk upon the sea. The first misunderstanding in this story is that they think that Jesus is a nighttime ghost. That's their first misunderstanding. Um, This is a superstitious fear that many of their day shared, especially on the waters. There were various things that had uh, infiltrated even even the, the minds and hearts of God's people. And so they think that what they're seeing here is a ghost. But their hardness of heart and their misunderstanding goes deeper than this. They misunderstand what this glorious encounter actually means for them. What does it mean for them that Jesus has come and walked on the water to deliver them? Right in the midst of their confusion and their fear, Jesus speaks words of comfort to them. In fact, they're nearly the same words that Moses spoke to the people on the shores of the Red Sea. Jesus says, take heart, it is I. 
do not be afraid. Moses says to the people, he says, take heart. You need only to stand still and you will see the salvation of God today. And Jesus takes up the same, the same phrasing and says, take heart. Don't be afraid. It's not, a, it's not a ghost. It's me. The Savior, the Deliverer, the one who is on your side. And instead of taking this comfort and now understanding with a deeper understanding, they misunderstand Jesus himself. They misunderstand him. You know, back in, in chapter 4 when Jesus calmed the storm, There was some misunderstanding going on there for the disciples as well. Jesus was already with them, and he spoke these powerful words, calming the storm. And uh, a little more specifically there, their misunderstanding was Jesus' power in his word. Their misunderstanding what it meant that he could speak and calm the storm. But now, Jesus was not with them. He's shown up altogether, and they're misunderstanding his very person. They have misunderstood, they've hardened their hearts toward the actual identity of Jesus Christ. Who is this man? That central question of the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus will say it. He will say it at this this key moment in chapter 8. Who do the people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? But he's asking it in different ways throughout the entire Gospel. His very person now confronts them with the same question. Who do you think that I am coming up to save you? And you think I'm a ghost and now you're not even taking my comforting words. Who do you think that I am? They've misunderstood Jesus himself. And Mark makes this point by drawing us back to the feeding of the 5,000 people. uh, Of the 5,000 men. It was more than that. More people than that altogether. It's not just this one little encounter that the the disciples are misunderstanding. They're misunderstanding the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 52, Mark sees a connection between this miracle of Jesus walking on the water and that miracle of Jesus that happened the day before, feeding the multitudes. In that he says, Mark says, they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So here they are on the Sea of Galilee. Another miracle is taking place. And Mark says, no, what's going on here is connected to what just took place. The understanding predates the Sea of Galilee experience here. At least the day before in this amazing manifestation of the glory of Jesus. At least then they already did not understand. They didn't understand about the loaves. What's that have to do with Jesus walking on the water? The connection is very simply this. If they had understood Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000, then they would not have been fearful or stupefied by him when he walked upon the waters. If their hearts had been soft as Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, and if they had come with true and deep understanding of the person of Jesus Christ, then they would have recognized him that night on the Sea of Galilee as the Lord of glory. They would have seen in the face of their Savior, not a ghost and not just some confusing person who's now making them feel afraid, but their Savior and their Deliverer. That's who they would have seen. But they did not understand about the loaves, and so they therefore did not understand about the walking on the water 
and they didn't understand Jesus altogether. We also respond to Jesus by hardening our hearts in a way that leads our understandings to continue to be darkened and veiled from enjoying the the true identity of Jesus Christ. Instead of focusing on Jesus' sheer ability to walk on the water, we tend to focus on the hardship of rowing in heavy winds. It is, it's especially during seasons of hardship and difficulty that we tend to fear the days that are to come or the circumstances that we find ourselves in right that moment instead of leaning upon the Lord of glory. Dear brothers and sisters, Jesus walked upon the water to get to his disciples. Can he not somehow make his way to you? You, you must take heart and come with true understanding about the identity of your Savior. He's the God-man. He is the Lord of glory. He's the same one who, according to his divine nature, stood upon the waters of the Red Sea and delivered his people. It's the same God who has now come in the flesh and bone of Jesus Christ to deliver you, and nothing can stop him from getting to you. He's the same Savior who walks upon the waters. He sees your needs from heaven as clearly as he saw the disciples' needs from the mountaintop. He's ascended that glorious mountain for us, and he sees all, and he knows your needs. So let your heart understand that he is the Lord of glory, and he is more than able to deliver you out of this wicked age and all of its trials and temptations and to deliver you into the age to come. That's one response to his glory is misunderstanding it, which is not just, you know, it's not a small thing. It's sin to allow our hearts to be hardened toward the Lord and to lack understanding. So take heart and come with this understanding to the Lord. There's a second response to Jesus's glory in this passage, and that is recognition, recognizing who he is. Now, Mark pulls a little bit of a switcheroo here because so far, to a great extent, the disciples have been seen as the insiders with Jesus. He draws them near. He speaks and interprets the parables to them, but leaves just the parables for those on the outside. He, uh, Jesus speaks with um, commendation about those who sit at his feet. You know, he's inside a house at one point. And he's uh, teaching to the people sitting at his feet, listening to him. But those on the outside give us this symbol of those who won't draw near. And the disciples have basically been those insiders. But here, Mark shows them to be spiritually dull. They're dull in their understanding. They're hardened in their hearts. They're unsure of who Jesus truly is. Meanwhile, in verses 53 through 56... The crowds may not fully understand who Jesus is, but we do read in verse 54, they immediately recognized him. They immediately recognized him because the word about his miraculous power and these manifestations of his glory, the word had spread. And to some extent, the crowds believed. Look at what they're doing. 
There's no obstacle that, that can be in their way to get to Jesus. And they're carrying people now by the multitudes on their beds. We saw that one time earlier when those four great friends brought the paralytic. And now they're bringing them all out on their bed mats and laying them before Jesus. And they're all doing as the woman we saw in an earlier chapter who had the flow of blood, as she did, to touch his garment. Now they're all coming to touch his garments. Now it is true that these folks do not have mature faith in Christ. I think that it's clear enough that there is some superstition involved with their faith as well. But they recognize Jesus to be the Lord of glory. They at least recognize him enough that when he comes into their midst, they draw near. They come because they see that in this man, saving benefits are to be found. And they're going to get it. They're going to get it no matter the cost. They don't cower back as the disciples did in fear and in confusion. But they lean toward Jesus, weak and, and mixed though their faith may be. They nevertheless come to him and receive his benefits. Now then, this recognition is a wonderful example for us. And it's particularly helpful to think about how differently things might have gone for the disciples if they had responded to Jesus's glory with a similar recognition. Especially because Jesus had told them and shown them far more than he had shown the crowds. They had more reason to recognize him, to understand who he was. What I said at the beginning of this message was that the glory of Jesus demands that we recognize him for who he is. Not to make him into our own image, not to turn him into a God who meets our own particular desires, but to recognize him for who he is. So, recognition then is that command that is upon us. We must recognize Christ. Let's break this down into even smaller and hopefully clearer commands. And the first is to be encouraged by Christ. It is hard to recognize him as the Lord of glory who draws near to give you his saving benefits and to deliver you if you're not encouraged by him. Sometimes our hearts are hard toward the Lord because we're just down. We feel discouraged in our faith and it makes us believe that God is somehow unavailable to us. But Jesus speaks directly to this. He speaks to his disciples about this. And if they had responded to him with a recognition of his glory, then they too would have been encouraged instead of afraid. Verse 50. They were terrified, but immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. When our hearts are soft to the Lord, rather than being hardened in misunderstanding, then these tender words become our encouragement. When our hearts are down and we're not feeling as though God is able to do anything for us, we remember the words of Jesus Christ to take heart, to remember that it is Him. It's Jesus Christ Himself. And in that encouragement, we are, we are to be no longer afraid. Our hearts begin to turn away not from Jesus anymore, but to turn away from fear and confusion and ingratitude. And this encouragement, therefore, leads to a second command. We must understand. 
This overall recognizing of who Jesus actually is includes encouragement. It also includes understanding him. Discouragement blinds us to the glory of Christ. When we are discouraged in our faith, when we are down, we are sometimes unable to recognize his glory. And so when Jesus speaks comforting words to us and we soften our hearts to receive those encouraging words, then we must begin to understand who he is as the Lord of glory. His encouraging words are meant to stir up this understanding in our hearts, to see him for who he is and to remember what he's done. Take heart, not just because he said so, but because he's the Savior and he delivers. And further, we are to be then delivered. Once we see him for who he is and we remember that he is the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, then we cling to him for salvation, knowing that he will certainly deliver us from every single trial that we face in this life and take us into the age to come. Encouragement, understanding, and deliverance. These are the benefits of recognizing Jesus, of coming with soft hearts to him. All these benefits are available to us when we will come and hear the call of the Holy Spirit to come and not harden our hearts when we hear his voice as the Israelites so often did in the wilderness. And as the disciples here do on the Sea of Galilee, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts toward him, but soften them and be encouraged. Come with understanding. Loved ones in Christ, if you find yourselves discouraged, perhaps even hard-hearted in some manner toward the Lord, then you share the same spiritual illness as the disciples and as many other Christians. And these disciples continued to to struggle in these particular ways, as we see through the rest of the gospel storyline. When Jesus was about to manifest the glory of his grace by dying on the cross, Peter turned away from him because he didn't understand. He kept telling Jesus, it can't be that you are going to the cross. What does it mean for you to be delivered into the hands of sinful men? That can't be. He didn't understand the glory that dwelt in Jesus Christ and his crucifixion. And he didn't understand, so he turned away and hardened his heart. Similarly, when Jesus was raised in power from the dead, the disciples were so afraid of this display of his glory that the end of Mark, the very end of Mark, says that they were afraid and they didn't say a word to anybody. We are sometimes confused, stupefied, misunderstanding when it comes to Jesus' glorious displays. They misunderstood, we do the same. But brothers and sisters... The Lord deals very kindly with hard-hearted people. Jesus kept on with these same disciples. And he keeps on with us as well. He has shed his blood for just such people. And from heaven now, today, he sees you. As surely as Jesus saw the trial of his disciples from the mountaintop. And he calls out to you to take heart. Do not be afraid. See him for who he is, and you will surely also see his deliverance. Amen. Let us pray.
Gracious Father in heaven, as we've now meditated upon your holy word, write it upon our hearts that it might bear the fruit that is in keeping with repentance, righteousness, and faith. For the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen.